I'm, I'm really glad we made it this year. I brought the church van this year because I thought if something's going to break down, I at least want it to be somebody else's vehicle and not mine. We were real close. We were about an hour away, and then uh, we started losing gears in the transmission, so we turned around and drove home. And it, we sounded like a fan boat in the bayou going down uh, 575, just losing gears, had the throttle to the floor going like 45 miles an hour with the windows down and just, <laughs> it was awesome. It was great. So I'm, I'm glad we made it. I'm glad we didn't break down. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're here. I'm not, I'm not glad that the church van didn't break. I'm always looking for a good excuse for a new van because our van is junk like most. Um, when we, we, we were loading up, some of my youth leaders were like, we're taking the van? All right. I saw you, you know, I saw you walking towards the van and I was like, but we made it. So, um, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. I love youth ministry. I love the church, desperately love the church. I love teens and I love helping, encouraging and equipping other youth pastors. Um, and I try to do that as often as I can in as many ways as I can. And especially in regards to longevity, I am super duper passionate about youth pastors staying put. Um, I heard Richard Ross several years ago talking about longevity. He said, you hear youth pastors that say that they have 10 years of youth ministry experience, but what they really have is two and a half years over and over and over again because they leave and go and start again. So, and, and that may be you, and that's okay. That's what this session is for. I also know that a bunch of you guys, because I've seen you guys and know some of you guys from coming, have been where you are for a very long time. And some of you could probably teach me a lot on this topic. So by no means is this the end all be all of it. But I think it's very, very important for us. Um, But I want to start by reading from Colossians chapter 1, which may seem like an odd place. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. And I want to throw this out to us off the front of this because I want to kind of lay the stakes before us, if you will. What is it that is at stake in student ministry in general? Okay, we're talking specifically student ministry here, but just in the life of the church. So whether you are a youth pastor or you are a youth worker in a volunteer capacity, uh, this this hopefully kind of, I just want to frame us off the front with this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want to start there because I want to make sure that we are fully aware 
of the centrality of not only the gospel, but the power of Christ in our ministries and in our calling. Because I think oft, here's, the, here's the crazy thing about ministry, specifically with youth ministry. You can do youth ministry. I am fully 100% convinced that you can do youth ministry for about two years, two and a half years, without Jesus. You can play enough games. You can come up with enough creative ideas. You can decorate a cool stage. You can do enough events. You can buy enough lessons online. You can do that for about two years without Jesus. And at that point, you're kind of at the end of all that. And if you've been operating that way, you will leave. And you will do it all over again without Jesus. You can talk, understand this, talking about Jesus, talking and teaching about the gospel is not the same thing as teaching and sharing the gospel. So we have to start with this uh, this idea and understanding that at the center of what we do is a centrality of Jesus and the gospel. And that seems ridiculous to say off the front, but I'm telling you, it happens over and over and over in our churches. And so I'm going to give you a few, I'm going I'm to call these benchmarks in youth ministry. And then I'm going to give you seven keys to longevity. Okay, now let me, let me say this. When I'm speaking of longevity, I'm specifically saying plant yourself in a church and stay put. Okay. I'm not talking about longevity in the sense of like, well, I've been in youth ministry for 500 years and I've been at 700 churches. That doesn't count. Okay. I I mean, get in a church and stay. Okay. And stay. And and we'll talk, talk through some of that um, as, as we go. Let me, let me tell you two mistakes that I think are very prevalent in ministry, not, not just student ministry, but in ministry in general, but this especially happens in youth ministry. One is we overestimate how much we can do in the short term. Okay. So we have this grand idea of what we're going to accomplish in two years, which is usually ridiculous. Okay. So we overestimate what we can do in the short term. The second mistake is that we underestimate what we can do over the longer term, over the long haul, over the long term vision of our ministry and serving there. So we, we overestimate the short term and we underestimate the long. And because that happens, we get frustrated when things aren't moving as quickly as we thought they would, or when things don't go the way we hoped they would, and then we leave. And we, we lose sight of the long-term vision for our ministries. Okay, and and so the, really, really, really crucial. The the different. Let me let me explain it this way. I think most youth pastors, and you you probably would agree with this to a certain extent, want to have an impact on students' lives. Okay, most people would say I want to have an impact on students' lives, and I want to tell you that that is admirable but incorrect. That you should not be striving to impact students' lives. Rather, you should be striving to influence their lives. There's a difference, okay? If you and I walk down here to the creek, and one of us, probably you because I'm not strong enough, is going to pick up a big rock and throw it in the creek, okay? You made an impact. Big splash, right? Impact. 
But if you and I go down and we take a lot of smaller rocks, perhaps, and we dam up the creek so that we slow the, the, the water and we redirect the path of the water, we have created influence. Do you see the difference? So here's what happens. We come in as a youth pastor wanting to make an impact and we throw big rocks in our ministry. We throw everything we have at these kids in the first two years trying to make an impact. And believe me, you do. You do. The problem is it's short-lived. And oftentimes it does more damage than good because you leave and all they've known is what you've thrown at them. And what we need to be doing, rather, is taking a smaller rock, if you will, or a longer-term view and, and being patient and building influence within our ministries that doesn't just impact them, but changes the way that they view the world, changes the way that they understand the gospel, that changes the way they see their friends, that changes the way they see the nations. And that is a huge, huge difference. And if you approach your ministry with the desire to have influence rather than impact, it will change everything that you do. It will change everything that you do. Because it's no longer flash in the pan. Trying to move the needle a little bit. We're, we're trying to slowly walk students through a process of biblical discipleship. Do you understand? Does that make sense? Okay, great. All right, so let me give you some benchmarks. And, and some of you are, are, are new to ministry or, or not even quite there yet, but one, one day will be. Some of you have been doing this a long time. I think if you're new, it's important to recognize that these are coming. And if you've been doing a long time, I think you'll look back and you say, yep, I remember that. That happened. And let me tell you this too. Whether you are volunteer, bivocational, part-time, whatever you call that, or full-time, these happen in your ministry. And if you're a youth leader and not a youth pastor, it's important to know these and recognize these because they will happen in your ministry as the youth pastor comes in. So knowing them and recognizing them, being able to stand behind and support your youth pastor through these is really, really important as well. As well as understanding what's happening to be able to navigate it as a team as you move together. Okay, so here you go. Benchmarks. Zero to six months. Okay, you get hired. And you go on staff from, from day one to about six months. You're just trying to get your feet under you, figure out who's what, what's going in what direction. Everybody loves you. They're all excited you're there. There's a lot of questions still, but people are, are, are open to asking those. You're, you've got a million ideas and you're trying to implement everything. You, you're just, it's a great, I mean, it's six months is, is, is a beautiful time. Okay, it's a beautiful time because uh, there's just an excitement there. And, and, and it's really important to know that that window is short because you've got to be able to capitalize on that momentum out of the gate early to help propel you later. All right. So the first six months is, is easy. Anybody can do youth ministry for six months. All right. From, uh, let's say, up until about a year. Okay, so the, uh, the one year mark, by the one year mark, now you know names. You know who people are. You figured out, kind of have a good understanding of the culture of the church because it was absolutely different than what you thought it would be when you were sitting with search committees and that kind of stuff. Be- because in most cases, okay, it's not always the case, but in most cases, the people that are on your search committee are people who are really passionate about youth ministry. 
They, they have a lot of thoughts and ideas. They have a desire to see God step in and move and do something amazing in the youth ministry. And that's great. That those people need to be on the search committee. However, the downside to that is it may not reflect the attitude of the church as a whole. Does that make sense? You got the all-star team on the search committee. And, and then beyond that, you, it's kind of a mystery. It's an unknown. So that first year, you're really getting a feel now outside of that, that first circle. What is the attitude towards the student ministry? What, is, what are the expectations, the unsaid, unheard, unwritten expectations on the youth pastor and on the youth ministry? By the time you hit one year, you've got a good understanding of that. And you can begin to really navigate some things. That's typically the point where you see most people start to make changes. Okay? And if you've read um, Doug Fields, your first year using youth ministry, he says, hey, don't change anything for the first year. Um, That's, as a default, that's great advice. It doesn't have to be that way. I will tell you this, and I've got a bunch of youth leaders here with me that that will hold to this. If we had made changes a year in, we were changing things that I had already changed. I mean, we had painted the room. Everything was different. Okay? So you can make changes, you just got to do it well, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But a year in, you've got a good understanding. You with me? And it goes the other way. They have a good understanding. So they're starting to figure you out um, and, and figure out the other side of that, right? Because even, even that search committee or, or those folks that brought you on staff... They, they had a perception just like you did, and now you're kind of coming to a, a common understanding of, of what you have with each other. It's like marriage. You all talk to people who have been married less than a year, and you're like, how is it? It's great. It's wonderful. You're lying. It's difficult. It's, it, it's, there are moments of good and great, but it's, it's a difficult year because you're learning to be together, right? Everything you used to do apart from each other, now you're learning to, to, to do life together. And that's happening in the ministry. So that one-year mark there is, is really, it's a really crucial turning point. And in some ways, it kind of goes downhill from here for a bit. Um, and, and this is where, this is where, yeah. Hey, that's great. And good news. Thanks. Um, this is where, this is where guys, this is where youth pastors mess up. Um, they fail to recognize this. Okay, so, from the two-year to the three-year mark. So somewhere between two, two and a half, three years, um, it's going to get really difficult. Okay? How, how many veteran guys have been, been someplace in one church longer than uh, five years? Yeah, been there five years. Would you agree two, half, two to three years? There was something. It came out of nowhere. You didn't... Re- yeah, always. Everybody I talk to. And, and it, it doesn't matter the context of your church, the size of your church, the capacity of your role, somewhere between two years and three years, it gets really difficult. Because at that point, they fully know what they have. You know what you have, and you're trying to make changes. And some of those are better received than others. And honestly, most of the time, it's, it's our fault because we don't make the changes correctly, and, and we don't take the time to be patient to walk people through that. And so people just started getting really, uh, really upset. Or they just misunderstand what we're trying to do, and we don't communicate well. And so there's a tension that comes, and it gets it just. I'm telling you, if you're gonna, if you're ever gonna feel like walking away, it's gonna be right there. And most do, most do. And this is the emails that I get. I have a youth ministry blog. I do a youth ministry podcast. Um, so I talk to a lot of youth pastors um, from all over uh, the country and, and a few others. But the emails I get all say the same. Okay, I mean verbatim. I swear they found them somewhere and they copy and paste them. 
it's been a really hard two to three years. Or after a really difficult two to three years, we feel God is calling us away. You know, well, no, it's not been a difficult two to three years. It's probably been a really difficult six months or to a year, depending on where you are in that. But you've forgotten about all those things before. The excitement that you had is long gone because now you've really set in to what you have. And, and the changes you're making. It, nobody likes change, right? I mean, it makes sense that you start changing the course and the direction of something. People are going to get a little uneasy or, or you just, you're just kind of having to polish that a little bit. And so, guys, listen, you can leave here at this place and go to the next church. But you know what's going to happen between two and three years? The same thing. The same thing. It may look different. It may feel different. It'll be different people, but something will happen here that will make you question everything. And all of a sudden, the church across the street or, you know, the, the, the other church, the new church looks great because they have a real, you know, and then you can start saying, oh, they have a clear, clear vision for what they want or there's a lot of potential there. We like to use that word, so much potential there for God to really do something in the students. Like, well, guess what? That was all where you came. That was there when you showed up, most likely. But you've forgotten about all that because now the potential has gone because you're it. And so knowing and recognizing that this is here is absolutely essential for you to stay put and create influence. If you leave it two and a half to three years, you've done more damage than good. Absolutely. And this is the cycle that we live in. This is why nobody wants to look at a youth pastor as a real pastor. No offense, Sean. Real pastor. Okay. This is why this is why everybody that talks to you asks you when you want to be a real pastor. Or what you what you want your what you're gonna do when you're gonna be a real minister. When you're real I can't wait to see what it does in your real ministry. Y'all have heard that. Man, gosh, I just cringe. Like, yeah, this kinda is it. This is kind of my real ministry. Thanks. I'm good right here. Yeah. I'll deal with teens because I can't help handle adult drama. That's good. We like this. I'll, I'll deal with a teenager who's cutting and suicidal before I'll deal with a married couple that's in denial over their issues because they're both selfish. And they, they're only coming to counseling so that they say they did so that when they go to file for divorce, they can say they tried, right? At least a student will be honest and acknowledge that they're broken. Um, I just We have created a culture within our churches that is distrustful of youth pastors. And then we're frustrated that they don't trust us. Well, look, um, I think, Wayne, you can correct me on this. I was the fifth youth pastor, uh, the senior class that I came to, if you include the interim folks, I was their fifth youth pastor in like seven years. And, And the first week I was there, I was talking to a student. And I was asking her to help me with something. And she said, why would I listen to anything you have to say? You're just going to leave like everybody else. So you, you got it. We go back to where I started. Listen, understanding the impact and the influence that you can make over the longer haul of being planted where you are. You got to understand trust takes time. Trust takes time. The hard part of that is that we understand as youth workers that 
that youth ministry is very transitional. So we only have these kids for a certain amount of time and that there is a pressure that we feel and an urgency that we feel to do something amazing in the lives of the students we have right now. Okay, so the reality is, though, that we can throw everything at the students we have right now who are never going to really see us as their youth pastor because they don't trust us or they still are missing the, the person before us that we never lay a foundation for the people who are coming after to be able to grow into to do something amazing. You with me? So listen, when you get there, you got to recognize, and this sounds awful, I know, but it just is what it is. You got to recognize that the vast majority of your high school students will never see you as their youth pastor. So pour in, love on, invest in those students, but recognize that the middle school students are your students. And at two and a half, three years, you've not even begun to build a relationship with those students that can show any fruit at all. You want kids in your youth group, you can go get kids to your youth group, right? I mean, you want to get kids to your church, do a big event, give away a bunch of free stuff, and they'll come. You can take kids from every other church that's not doing that, and you'll grow your youth group like that. But you want to reach lost students and make an impact over, over the years of your ministry, you've got to invest in the middle school kids, invest in your leaders, and build a culture and not a ministry. Listen, build, write that down, build a culture, not a ministry. Everybody wants a big ministry. Nobody takes time to build a culture. And I'll tell you this, there will always be a ministry bigger and there will always be a ministry smaller. Your numbers don't really matter. Bigger ministry equals bigger problems, more people, more responsibility. Okay, so build a culture, not a ministry. All right, so two to three years. If you stay past that, when you hit about the five-year mark, you are at a place where you can finally begin to be the youth pastor. Five years. Okay. At five years, no one is comparing you to the previous youth pastor anymore. Okay. I can tell you this. I've seen this take place in my ministry now. This is the second time that I've gone through this, and it is exactly, it is like clockwork, man. Nobody talks about the youth pastor that was there before me, really. Not in the context of, of what the youth ministry was. You're not being compared anymore to them. People, the students now see you as the youth pastor. Parents see you as the youth pastor. The church sees you as the youth pastor. A lot of them probably can't, can't believe you're still the youth pastor, okay? The student, they're like, they're just waiting. Like, but you're it, man. You are the youth pastor. No, it is yours. And at five years, what you have is what you've made. The downside to being there five years is you can't look back and blame the guy before you anymore. You could do that for the first two and a half years. Nobody cared or believed it because they liked that guy probably. But, but now at five years, you have what you have made. Okay? And you're at a place really... Now, finally, where you can really make some progress. So I want to tell you this. The first five years of your ministry is just laying foundational and framework pieces in place so that once you hit the five years, you can really begin to do effective ministry. All right? You're getting the right people on the bus, which we're going to talk about in a later session and kind of building this, uh, what does an awesome youth ministry team look like? How do you do that? 
you know, you've got the right people, you've got the right plan, you've got the right pieces, and now you can really move forward. If you leave before the five-year mark, you have no hope of finding that. This is never going to happen. I don't care if you go and church plant. It's still going to take you five years to be seen as a youth pastor. It's just, you're not going to be able to make progress until you hit, until you hit five years. Okay. Now, depending on your context, so whether you are sixth grade through 12th grade, seventh grade through 12th grade, whatever that looks like in your context, this may change, but I'm going to say as a general rule, somewhere around seven years is the sweet spot, man. At seven years, you will begin to understand and experience a joy in ministry that you did not think was possible. It doesn't mean there's not problems. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It, it doesn't mean that you're not broken over the needs that your, your students have. It doesn't mean that, that, that there's not still those problems that you had at the two to three year mark. You just, you can handle those now. Seven years, five years, even at five years, those same issues that were, that were making you want to leave at the two to three year mark, you can walk through those now. You've got relationships invested and, and those things come at you softer than they did then. You weren't as raw. But at seven years, you can finally evaluate what you are doing and producing out of your ministry. Right? I mean, that makes sense. Until a class comes all the way through your ministry, you can't say for certain what you're even producing. You can begin to see that happen and take shape as students are graduating and leaving. But until they come all the way through and out, and really, probably 10 years, because you got to see what happens after they leave, okay? If we're going to really expand it. But at seven years, I'm telling you guys, and you can ask some of these folks that have been in place, seven years, you will love what you do. You will love what you do. Um, Johnny Condry uh, referenced uh, Johnny Hunt earlier. I heard Johnny Hunt say one time, it, it takes seven years to become somebody's pastor. Um, I think it's a little faster for youth ministry just because it is so transitional. Um, but still, I mean, seven years is a beautiful, beautiful place to be. And really, at seven years, you can do whatever the heck you want to. That's the beauty. You know, you sit down as a youth pastor, you sit down with your team, and you guys dream up something and you want to do it, you can do it. You can make it happen because you know how to operate now. You know the culture Everybody's pulling in the same direction. You've seen what you've produced. You've tweaked it along the way, and you can really begin to move forward. Okay, now, here's what happens at seven years, though. At seven years, all of a sudden now, you have to recast and re-envision your ministry. All right? You can't do what you've been doing and because now everything was leading to that point. You understand? That's the, that was kind of your finish line out of the gate. Is we not, we've got to get to here, graduate at a class so we know what we're graduating. Once you have that, now you've got to decide what is next. Where do we, how do we take this ministry to the next level, if you will? How do we go deeper, stronger, broader, wider? How do we reach? So you re-envision at seven years. You cast the new, clear vision. That makes sense? And, and, and so it begins, to some extent, it begins the process over on the ministry side. But relationally, what you'll find is the, you make up ground quickly at seven years in. Because all of the time and investment you made early was relational. 
and, and earning trust. Now you have all those pieces. So you literally just cast the vision and, and people begin to follow. And so you make progress much, much faster. Does not mean that it's not going to be difficult. You will still have, I would say probably every two to three years, just in general, over the course of a ministry of longevity, you're still going to see these things rise up that make you go, oh man, I could be doing something else and making more money. Um, and, and then you're like, but I really don't have any skills in life except dodgeball and capture the flag, right? <laughs> and so you're like, nobody would hire me. I guess I'll stay, right? And so, I mean, I'm awesome at dodgeball. I'm not going to lie. I worked, I was, I was part-time and worked at the YMCA as a teen director. And um, so I had about four or 500 teens in our teen program. And, and so the joke was I was a professional dodgeball player because if you get paid to do something, I feel like that qualifies you as a professional. And uh, so depending on the day, yeah, I was professional kickball player, professional dodgeball player, professional capture flag player. Professional, yeah, I was, I was a lot of professionals and a lot of things, but I was, I was terrible at them all. I just was paid to do them. Um, the youth ministry is that way, right? Sometimes you feel like, man, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But let me tell you this, um, it's worth it to stay. And, and here, here's, we were talking about this. I don't know who I was talking about this with. The key to longevity as a senior pastor is real simple. Don't quit. Because they will not fire you. I, I mean, it takes a lot for a church to fire a senior pastor. I, I've seen pastors fall morally. I know pastors who have divorced and remarried and stayed on staff, they will move away. I mean, uh, Brody last night was referencing Rob Bell. I mean, come on. They will not fire you as a senior pastor. You can steal from the church. People will leave the church and go to another church before they will fire you. That's real simple. You want to stay put as a senior pastor and have longevity in ministry, don't quit. You want to have longevity in youth ministry, don't quit and don't get fired because they will fire you. Real fast, you know, so it's a little, it's a little trickier for us. We kind of have, we got to make sure that, that they don't fire us. But most, most youth pastors don't get fired. They quit long before, long before they could get fired, unless they do something really dumb out of the front. But I mean, even in youth ministry, let's be honest, it still takes quite a bit to get fired. I mean, you get a bunch of youth pastors around, start, start telling like horror stories from trips, um, it gets crazy fast. And you're like, and they didn't fire me. I was a youth pastor at 18 years old, okay? I didn't know what I was doing. I was reading everything I could find on youth ministry, trying to figure it out. We were making stuff up. If it sounded fun to me, we did it. Uh, which is scary, okay? Don't do that. Uh, ever do that. Um, ever. But no one died. Nobody died. We, uh, we came close a couple times, but no, nobody died. And... Uh, everybody survived with all their limbs and we almost had a kid lose an eye because my wife shot him in an eye with a paintball here actually uh and a paintball gun (coughs) in her defense it was totally his fault he was rushing at her and he tripped and fell because he was a klutz and she just was shooting and just happened to hit him in the eye the day after he wrecked mountain biking uh, and and totally rashed up the other side of his face so he couldn't see out of one eye already and then she shot him in the other and uh so he was like the blind man all, all week, but he didn't mind because it seemed like the girls really paid attention to that. He had a really good story uh, of how that happened. But, you know, you can do a lot and not get fired, but you can get fired. And so you, you've got to be, 
you got to be real, real smart. All right. So let me give you seven keys to longevity. Um, if you want to, if you want to really have a ministry of influence and, and here's my heart guys, this is my heart for, for you. And, um, obviously I am a youth pastor, but when I, when I'm writing on, on my blog or doing podcast stuff or, um, or speaking at things like this, I want to help youth pastors create a ministry that they'll never want to leave. Um, that, and that, that is very, very possible. It's very, very possible. Um, and, and I think these, these seven things are, are key to that. Okay. All right. Number one, be certain of your calling, be certain of your calling. And I want to give you this, this kind of, I think plays in, in two, two capacities. One, you're calling to vocational ministry. If you're a youth pastor or you're calling to serve in the youth ministry, if you're a youth leader, you've got to be a hundred percent certain. Um, when I, when I sat down with my pastor, so I remember going and talking to my pastor and saying, hey, I, I, I grew up in East Tennessee, not too far from here, in your typical church, okay? It was the uh, same message every week, different text. I could quote you the invitation right now. I won't. Um, it, was this, it was the same thing. And I just remember feeling this uh, amazing uh, weight on my life to want to, to preach. And uh, I remember sitting down with my pastor, and I was like uh, 17, I think. I just turned 17 and I said, Hey, I want to be just like you and do what you do. And, uh, and so he, he looked at me and he kind of sat back and he got real quiet. And, um, he said, Jody, you need to run from this. And I said, what? what are you talking about? And he said, you need to run. And when you can do nothing else, when you are certain and convinced you can do nothing else with your life and be fulfilled and obedient to what the Lord would have you do, then you come back and we'll talk. I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, dude, I just told this guy I wanted to be like him, and he sent me away. But I'm going to tell you something. Over the last 16 years, that one conversation has saved my ministry more than anything else. More than anything else. Because I get to those places where it's difficult, or you have something come up, and you go, man, I could do, I could do something else. And be appreciated more, and be paid more, and not have all these things. And then I'm like, no, I really can't. <laughs> right? You go to Romans eleven twenty nine. The gifts and the calling are irrevocable, right? I mean, so you got to be certain of your calling. There's a great book by Jeff Yorg. He's out of Golden Gate. He's the president of Golden Gate Seminary. Called "Is God Calling Me?" It's really, really short. It's a book I give to students who come to me and are thinking about ministry. Um, it's a short little book, great little book on uh, on just calling to vocational ministry. I'd highly recommend that to you, even if you've been in ministry a long time. It's really good. So you've got to be certain of God's calling to ministry, to student ministry, and you've got to be certain of God's calling to where you are. <clears throat> and you need to do that early. I'm not talking about when you're deciding to leave. Like you need to know off the front. So be certain of your calling. All right, number two, be personally holy. So pursue personal holiness. Your, the danger in ministry, whether you're lay leader or uh, a vocational leader, is that your study and your prep and your ministry can easily take the place of your personal walk. And all of a sudden you begin to justify that. Because, you know, like for me, I'm a, I love to study Scripture, man. I will spend, for a Wednesday night thing, I will easily spend 15 to 20 hours studying. And we teach through books. So um, like we're in First Timothy 3 now, I think, and we've been in it since like May. And we were in 
Hebrews the whole year last year and Mark the year before. That's just how we roll. So, um, but I, I can do that and never leave my office. And the problem is, though, that you're spending so much time studying like that, that it be, that's your job time and you're getting a lot of fruitfulness. And it's not that the Lord can't use that in your life personally, but it should not take the place of you spending time with the Lord on a personal basis and pursuing holiness outside of your quote-unquote job or ministry role. So you've got to be certain of your calling and you've got to be personally holy. Third is this. You've got to be committed. You've got to be committed to stay no matter what. Okay? You've got to be committed. If you're a lay leader, your youth pastor is going to do some really dumb stuff. They're going to handle things poorly. They're not going to, they're going to be, they're going to mess up, man. They're going to hurt your feelings at times. They're going to, um, they're just going to do it. And, uh, and you've got to be committed to, to the calling that you're certain of, and you've got to be committed to the team you're a part of, and you've got to be committed to pray for and support your youth pastor. If you are a youth pastor, you've got to be committed to the team that you have under you, and you've got to be committed to the church that God's called you to. Nobody gets called to a church that doesn't need them. Right? Like, if you got called to a church and it didn't need you, it'd be easy. Because you could just do whatever you want to do, but they need you. That's why you're there, and that means it's going to be difficult. And so you've got to, from day one, lay stakes and say, this is it. Okay? Come hell or high water, I'm staying here, and I'm, I'm going to invest my life into this family, this body of believers, into these students and into this family, okay? So be committed. Fourth is this. Be patient. Be patient. Do not come out of the gate and start trying to implement everything at once. You've got to make change slowly and methodically. And you've got to know why you're making changes. Um, our church had been going to a, a beach camp since Jesus was on the earth. And uh, everybody loved it. And then at the same time, it seemed like everybody hated it. And I went one year because it was already booked. And I'm not going to lie, I hated it. It was probably one of the worst weeks of my ministry. And I don't, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just saying everybody, big-name speakers, big-name band, uh, at the beach. So fight that battle with your guys and cable TV in the rooms. And the food was gross and it was overpriced. And you still had to go and, and entertain for an a- afternoon. And I just remember in the share groups... All week that night trying to redefine, fighting to redefine and and shape the influence and the understanding of worship to students who I knew would go back on Sunday without the big stage, without the big lights and not be able to worship because the environment was different. And so I knew out of the gate we were going to, we'd been coming here for a long time anyway, that we were going to transition to here. But I knew if I made that decision and said, we're not coming here anymore, we're going to the new camp, that I would be hanging from there. We didn't have a steeple, from the roof. Okay. And so what we did was I came on staff in January. We brought our youth leaders up here in April for a weekend retreat just with our youth leaders. It was great for me to get to know them better. They were able to see the camp, meet the staff, ask the questions they had. Then we went to that camp that they had been going to in the summer. We brought the students here in the fall for a fall retreat, which they loved. And then while we were here, we said, this is where we're coming for summer camp. And we took twice as many kids the very first summer here than they had taken the three years before at that camp. I've seen the numbers. But it would not have happened if I just made the change. 
So you, you walk people to where you're going and you, you're patient because you're looking at that five to seven year mark. Where do we want to be when we hit there and, and then work your way back? And how do you get there? We wanted to implement mentoring in our ministry, but we had some pretty strong uh, Bible study stuff going on. And so we had to, we had to slowly transition and work our way into to our mentoring, mentoring stuff. So it, it can look different, but make change. Be patient, man. That's, why, that's how you'll get fired right there. You make changes too fast. And, and, and recognize this too, that, that a lot of small changes feel like one big one. All right? So um, if, you, if you cut your arm really badly and deep, that hurts. But if you get like a million tiny paper cuts in between your fingers, it hurts worse. Okay? Right? That's like the worst way to die. I'm going to paper cut somebody's head off. Like, that would be excruciating. ISIS hasn't even figured that out yet, okay? Look, so a lot of little changes like that feel like one big change. And that can cause a lot of... You look and you're like, man, we didn't change much. Just a few, you know, just little things here or there. But, yeah, a lot of little things too fast is bad. So be patient. All right, number five, be professional. Oh, my gosh. Be professional. You want to be treated like a real pastor, act like one, dress like one, carry yourself like one. Okay. I get it. You work with teens and you can get away wearing dirty t-shirts and cargo shorts and flip flops. But you know what? That's stupid. That is dumb because listen, the teens will come to you no matter what you can walk in a three piece suit and they will still come talk to you. But the adults who look at you in a dirty t-shirt, cargos, and flip-flops will never give you the time of day or their trust. And you are not after, listen, you are not after the students, you are after the parents. Because if a parent doesn't trust you, they're not going to send their kid to you. So throw away your crappy clothes, go find the Goodwill near the nice neighborhood, and shop. All right? (laughs) I'm just saying, that's what we did. Listen. Dress how you want to be treated. It, it, it sucks that it is this way, but it is. All right? And your context is going to dictate what that looks like, okay? If you're in Florida at the beach, flip-flops are probably normal. But if you're not, then probably not so much. There's times you can get away with that if you're doing something house. But, man, if you're in the church, if you're in the office, if you're going into a school, please, for the love of God, if you go to speak at FCA, dress professionally when you walk in that school for the sake and benefit of every other youth pastor who will follow you. Please look and act professional, call people back, return emails, make, just do the hard stuff that's uncomfortable and it will get easier, but be professional. You will never be respected and treated and you will never, ever, ever have a ministry of longevity. If you do not act professionally, it's just a fact. All right. I could go on that for a while. All right. Number six, we already said this, build a culture, not a ministry. Um, Build a culture, not a ministry. And then uh, number seven, uh, which is what I'm going to talk about in the later session, is build a strong team. Build a strong team around you. And uh, we'll talk a lot in that one about the importance of vision for your ministry and, and kind of how to craft that and how that helps you when it comes to, to doing that. Um, but hopefully this has been helpful for you guys. Let me tell you, it's worth it. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Um, I know uh, as a youth pastor, um, I lose a lot of sleep over a lot of things and there's a lot of brokenness 
that we deal with and walk in. And, and uh, But man, it is, it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And it is a glorious Savior that we serve and steer people to. And, uh, and we steer our heart around it. Let me pray for us. I'll pray for our lunch and then we'll get out of here. Lord, thank you for the calling to work with teens. Um, I thank you for the, the people in this room, God, whether they are lay leaders or whether they are vocational leaders. I thank you for their heart to run to those um, that most of society and culture runs from. And, uh, and God, I just pray for blessings and favor on their ministry and their effort. I pray, God, for wisdom and discernment as they lead their small groups and as they pour and invest in the lives of the students that they serve, as they pour and invest into the leaders that they serve with or that they oversee and lead. I pray for the churches represented here, God, that you will help them uh, to be effective for the sake of the gospel. God, for the students that are represented by the ministries here, God, so many broken, so many hurt, so many lost. God, I pray for the, your mercy and your favor and your grace and your compassion and your kindness and your patience and the goodness of the gospel would penetrate their heart. God, that it would break them over the sin in their life. It would draw them to you in the sweet Savior that you are. May we center our lives and our ministries around the gospel and around Jesus Christ. May we magnify him and make much of him in everything and all that we do. May we bring honor and glory to your name and your kingdom. Bless the food that we're about to eat and the rest of our day. God, give us teachable, moldable, shapeable hearts. God, steer, guide, direct, and lead. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.